Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers in conversation about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Kristen LaBianca, and I'm here with Lane Fargo. Hello. And Wendy Hurd. Hello. So it's the beginning of our our season. It's fall. We're going to become increasingly more powerful, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) What have you bitches been up to? Well, I had a a close encounter with some dark forces. (laughs) 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 Um, Okay, so this might take more than more than a minute. But um, (laughs) so I've been looking at I have a book coming out next next year that's like a revenge thriller. So I was trying to find other revenge thrillers coming out in the next couple years. um, And I was Googling and I found this book that sounds so fucking unbelievable. Um, It's called Consensual Hex best title um it's by this author named amanda harlow and it's about like witches at a women's college who like find out that uh this frat of warlocks have been uh raping women and like covering it up with magic and then the the witches like take their revenge it sounds like the best fucking book that i've ever heard of so (laughs) (laughs) i tweeted about it because i was so excited and i got like all this amazing response of people excited to read this book as they should be and then last night i was about to go to bed and I was like checking Twitter one last time as you should not but I always do and (laughs) (laughs) I saw that um someone else had retweeted my my tweet about this book and it was Ann Coulter oh (laughs) no um she was referencing uh Haven Monahan which is like this I, I had to google it I didn't know what it was but it's like this story of uh campus rape that was like debunked like it didn't actually It was like she made it up. The girl made yeah. it up. They so, love like, those stories. They just fucking love those ones. They love yeah, they'll like, <clears throat> find the one where the person the made one it up and, out of like yeah. 20,000 and they'll be like right. that one. We knew it. Yeah. So I like saw that and I just kind of freaked out because I was like, holy shit, like what the fuck? (laughs) So I very aggressively blocked Ann Coulter and like every person who had interacted with her tweet and it did not spiral into like some sort of horrible right wing pile on. But um, well, that's good. Yeah, I was like, holy shit. Uh, Wow. I'm so so curious, though. How did Ann Coulter come across your tweet? Yes, that's That's what I don't understand. Very mysterious. Yeah, very mysterious. There was nothing in like the body of your text that would be searchable. Like I have Mm-mm. no idea. No, yeah, dark forces at work. Truly, truly. but <laughs> everything's fine now, and everyone should look for Consensual Hex by Amanda Harlow, which is coming from Grand Central Publishing next fall. And, and it's it a good title amazing. too. Yeah, it sounds Such fantastic. Anyway, so I sur- I survived my encounter with the dark forces. <laughs> what are you guys up to? I would like to talk about uh, the Downton Abbey movie, which at the time of this recording, it just came out this past weekend. And of course, I saw it already. Are you guys, do you watch the show? Did you watch the show? I watched the first couple seasons and then I stopped, but I did like what I, what I saw. So yeah, so it has a lot of fantastic, unlikable women on it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just there's actually a lot and it's really well done. And the movie was a delight, of course, but most interestingly about it, the movie is number one from this weekend. This little movie that went up against like Rambo and Brad Pitt pretending to be an astronaut. <laughs> like people came out to go see this movie instead, and I love it. I love that so much. I'm so I'm so glad for them, and I'm glad that 
<clears throat> I'm glad and surprised, but also not surprised that like Hollywood underestimated what women would like to spend their money on uh, or the, you know, the movie going power. So I think that's really cool. And if you have not seen the movie, you should see it because it's great. I mean, I'm a little mad that it beat the greatest movie of this or any year, Hustlers. <laughs> which well, we should do a whole episode. It's on. Yes. just you. Just it's just Jennifer Lopez's butt, isn't it? Just say it. That's all it is for you. No, it's amazing. No, it's amazing. There's I haven't seen a it. A lot of amazing characters. So many unlikable female characters. It's, yeah, we could it's do a delicious. whole episode on it for sure. We really could. I want to see it. Just because it's only about Jennifer Lopez's butt to you, Wendy, doesn't mean that's it. Hustlers. <laughs> <laughs> Come for the butt, stay for the surprising character development. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. Well, okay, so let's let's kick off this October right and talk about feminist horror. We should have like a sound effect that goes in after that. Okay, I'll do that later. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about what is horror then? That is an interesting question that I've been thinking about. And I, I don't know. It's one of those genres where it's, it's more about like what it makes you feel than what actually happens in the book. Right. Yes, like exactly. it's supposed to scare you or, or something. Um, but it can take place in like any era. It can have sci-fi elements or not. It can be, I mean, it's just encompasses quite a lot. Right. So I think that really like it's, it's supposed to make you feel it's supposed to scare you it's supposed to make you feel fear mm-hmm. or possibly disgust i guess um but it's so interesting that like it can really a horror story can be in any genre it's not so much a genre by itself i guess is like a quality mm-hmm. of books you know kind of like um like noir is a word that gets thrown around in our genre a lot and it's kind of lost some of its meaning but that's really more of a feeling or like a tone rather than Ooh, a plot element. Hmm. I never thought of that connection before, but yeah, I can see that. And so I think in a lot of thrillers, like thrillers are also in a lot of ways meant to scare you, especially psychological thrillers. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of, it's sort of interesting to think about like what makes something horror or psychological horror versus a thriller. Like, you don't necessarily have to be scared while reading a thriller, but you certainly can be. Yeah, I think of thrillers, it's more like you're disturbed or you have a sense of unease, but you're not actually scared. It's more like that gripping, like, I can't take deep breaths because I'm, like, tense sort of feeling. Well, I think, like, based on the definition, a thriller is something where the main character is in danger. So, like, a horror novel can have a main character in danger or not I suppose like that's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily matter so I think it's just like it really is just about like the mood of the book and really the intention of the author and the main character could be the danger to others right that's always interesting yes so today we're going to talk about feminist horror specifically so what do you guys consider to be feminist horror like what makes a horror story feminist well, I kind of think the same things that make any type of story feminist, which mm-hmm. would be women doing whatever the fuck they want. Yes. And, <laughs> um, <clears throat> like well-developed female characters and staying away from like any sort of 
sexist tropes that pop up in literature and just sort of being stories about like women getting shit done interesting like maybe a feminist horror would have women in roles that would be more traditionally held by men so gender swapping things Hmm. that's interesting I mean I like um horror stories movies books whatever where the woman is the aggressor instead of the victim or maybe the victim at first and becomes the aggressor those are Mm -hmm. always my favorite kind of stories and there's also a lot of horror that deals with um sort of like the monstrousness of femininity and the female body in ways that are sometimes interesting sometimes exploitative and obnoxious and gross Um, (laughs) right but some of my favorites are um these are both movies but the movie teeth have you guys seen that one no it's about a young woman with a vagina dentata just like snaps off guys dicks it's amazing (laughs) um and then uh the movie ginger snaps which is about a girl who gets her period and then becomes a werewolf which like relatable (laughs) i love it (laughs) (laughs) so one of my favorite horror movies of all time which i want to discuss today is jennifer's body are you guys fans of that movie yes i haven't seen it wendy (laughs) i'm watching right now yeah Uh, it's so good so it actually came out 10 years ago like almost exactly last week i think was the 10 year anniversary i know so i saw some think pieces about it um because this is a movie that when it came out it was critically panned it failed at the box office and since then it's become kind of this cult classic like it was very much ahead of its time um, with its depiction of like female rage and aggression. And like, I think if it came out today, it would do a lot better than it did at the time. But I want to go on the record and say that I loved this movie back in 2009. And I love it even more now. Like I've just been a fan since the beginning. Um, it was written by Diablo Cody, who wrote the movie Juno and directed by Karin Kusama, who um I am obsessed with. Uh, she also directed a really great horror movie called The Invitation, which I don't know if you guys have seen. It's on no. Netflix. It's I love Juno, though. Juno's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, Karin Kusama as a director is like, she just gets tension so well. She's actually, she's my like fantasy director for temper. Like whenever mm. people ask me that, I'm like, call me Karen. <laughs> <laughs> so obsessed. Um, yeah, so the movie is about um, the main character, Jennifer, played by Megan Fox, is a high school cheerleader and she's kidnapped and sacrificed by this devil-worshipping emo band. Um, except <laughs> that <laughs> the ritual that they're trying to do goes wrong because they were supposed to use a virgin and Jennifer is not a virgin. <laughs> um, in fact, she says she's not even a backdoor virgin anymore. So they really nice. picked the wrong girl. <laughs> and after this ritual goes wrong, she comes back um, to her small town with a thirst for the flesh of men. Basically, like she has to kill and eat boys to keep her beauty and vitality and Mm. uh it's amazing it's just like (laughs) she's um starts out as the victim you know these guys kidnap her they kill her they all this stuff and then uh and it's very much filmed in a way that is reminiscent of like they don't sexually assault her but it's supposed to kind of feel like that like the whole Mm -hmm. circumstance around it's definitely an allegory for that um and then she becomes a predator like essentially (laughs) there are all these shots of her looking all like animalistic with blood all over her and like she's terrifying it's 
oh, I just love it so much. And um, when it came out, it was just marketed so poorly. Like they tried to market this movie to like the teenage boys who want to fuck <laughs> Megan Fox, oh, right? Wow. Like, Wrong. No, it's not gonna work. No. <laughs> it's not gonna work. And then like all these these boys probably saw this movie and were just like terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, you know, kind of love that also, but it did not do well at the box office because of that. Because I think a lot of people who would have liked it didn't go see it because it looked like the way that it was marketed just did not make it look good. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in forever. And you make me want to rewatch it this month for sure. Yeah, I just rewatched it uh, last week, actually, when I the day that I turned in my uh, manuscript to my editor, I was mm-hmm. like, I want to watch a movie that I love. And then I picked that one out. And then I was like, oh, well, we got to talk about this on the podcast because this is perfect. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it looks so good. I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, oh, yes. It has a really great depiction of female friendship too. Um, like Amanda Seyfried plays her best friend and who, who, who kind of uh, like starts to figure out that she's a demon feeding on boys <laughs> and doesn't know what to do. Um, but their relationship is really interesting. Like they, um, they love each other. They've been friends since they were little kids, but there's all of that like jealousy and anger and some sexual attraction between them. Like this movie is kind of gay also. Like if I didn't mention that before, <laughs> it's the best. Everyone watch it. Love it. <clears throat> I mean, since you like it, I just assumed it might be kind of gay. Yeah, that's a good bet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I would like to tell you about some uh, books that I think fall into this category of feminist horror. And as you were talking about Jennifer's Body, I just remembered another one that I hadn't even uh, thought of earlier. But um, have either of you read Megan Abbott's Give Me Your Hand? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I love I that think, book. I love it, too. I think that that kind of qualifies. It's, like, so, like, reading that book was, like, actually sort of unpleasant because it's so tense. It, like, mm-hmm. made me so anxious. But there's, like, you know, it's it's the story of a sort of a toxic friendship of competition between two women in high school. And then after they've graduated, they've both got, gone, gone on to become scientists and wind up competing for... Uh, the same position within this chemistry lab and there is like I'm thinking specifically of um, a very memorable scene in the lab (laughs) that I think I know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) and I just feel like that would this like this book is Megan Abbott is like a crime fiction author for sure like that's really where you'll find her books in the bookstore if you go and look she'll be in mystery but I really think that the way that she kind of writes these like tense and increasingly escalating violent rage filled women, um, I think it definitely qualifies. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. But one of my favorite books is uh, Broken Monsters by Lauren Bukes. And this book is sort of like a... It's like a a mystery crossed with horror. Um, The crime that is being investigated in the beginning, there's been uh, a body has been discovered and it is um, the body of a young boy that's been cut in half and glued to the legs of a deer, (laughs) which sounds a little wild, I guess, but it's really compelling. And this book has a lot of elements of like, there's 
real or imagined monsters and evil and a little bit supernatural and a little bit not. Uh, it's got a great female character. Uh, the, the lead detective on the case, Gabriella Versado, uh, is really, she's like a good, strong female character. And she has a daughter, Layla, who has a, a friendship with a classmate that's sort of uh, they get kind of involved in like a little bit of a revenge fantasy. Um, so there's a lot of like, there's a lot of ladies kicking ass in this book and it's so creepy. I love it. <laughs> like it's just the kind of book that like when I read it, I was, it gave me a book hangover for like two months. I was yeah. like, um, it's, it's just like so vivid and evocative and scary. Uh, the things that, that Lauren Bukes has come up with to put in here, but um, Bambi, the, which is the name that they, the cops give to oh, no. the corpse, <laughs> is just the beginning, but it's actually, it's a, it's very, very good. I didn't realize that was horror, I guess. Like, I always see her books in, like, literary fiction, so well, I didn't even realize it was so twisted. Yes, I mean, genre is really kind of a mindfuck, honestly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, her books are always with literary, but um, yeah, definitely twisted. And her, her other one of her other books, *The Shining Girls*, is also a really kind of fucked up story um, that involves a serial killer traveling through time. And uh, so it's, yeah, her books are definitely interesting. Um, I would also like to chat about *Baby Teeth*. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that wars. Book horrified me. I mean, oh my it was God. so I it was so hard to read. Yes. It is like, yeah, like it's hard to read. It's so uncomfortable. Um, so Baby Teeth is about a young mother, Suzette, who has a seven-year-old daughter who has not yet spoken a word. Uh, and no one really knows why, but Suzette kind of has this feeling that her daughter is actually an evil, sadistic bitch. And she's right. <laughs> Um, and it's, a, uh, it's just really like, so interesting the way that the author, Zoya, is that her name? Zoya stage? Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it's just like the tension just spirals. And I think it's really an interesting depiction of motherhood because like Suzette and, and at some points like hates her own child, but then in other times, like, she, she really vacillates from, like, hating and being distrustful to, like, loving and caring about her. Like, it's like, even though she knows that this tiny person is trying to kill her, like, she still has the the instinct to mother her. Um, but, yeah, I, I love it. And it's got, there's, you know, when, uh, when, what's the daughter's name? Hannah? When Hannah chooses finally to say something, she uh, she like begins to speak with a French accent as if she is uh, like a, a French witch who died in the 1700s. Not creepy at all, right? So <laughs> yeah, I mean, the creepiest thing about that book is like half of the chapters are in Hannah's point of view. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's just chilling. I mean, it would be such a different book if it was just Suzette, because then you would be kind of like, well... 
maybe she's making this up like it's she's just a little girl like how could but because you you hear hannah's inner monologue you're like oh okay this bitch is evil like yeah. this is not okay but i yeah. still like for me reading that book well first of all it made me like super glad i got my tubes tied the yeah. whole time i was like yes good decision <laughs> um but i got so mad at the at her husband and yes. alex oh alex is the real villain of baby teeth because if he just yes listen to his wife for one fucking second i'm like come on man no he's he's like she's just so smart (laughs) like he's such an idiot i mean you see how like the little girl manipulates him but i'm just like there is no excuse for not believing your wife like fuck you man no no no, he's not he's not a good dude Mm -mm. um but yeah that's a absolutely chilling book there yeah it's so good yeah Uh, love it you know, as we're talking about these horrors, uh, horror books, I'm thinking to myself, like, when I'm reading a thriller, the experience is that I'm running. Like, I'm running away from something or I'm running to save something. When I'm reading a, th- a horror book, my experience is that I'm beholding something that horrifies me. You know, mm-hmm. as you were saying that, I was, I thought to myself, when, uh, right, when you're reading a thriller, you're running. But when you're, like, reading a horror, you might be hiding. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like a different kind of tension like with with horror it's like you have to be very quiet so it doesn't find you mm-hmm. or you're yeah. like cringing away from it but yeah. you like can't run like yeah. you want to run but you can't run from this thing you are here observing yes exactly yeah yeah interesting hmm and then I think suspense is you're just I'm just thinking of my book like. <laughs> Like, what's gonna You're happen? Like, what's gonna happen? Do yeah. Don't, Don't do it! Don't do it! What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and my last example that I would like to talk about is from uh, the good old time machine. So, um, Margaret Miller's *The Beast in View*, which is from the mid '50s. Margaret Miller, um, although I hate it when people talk about someone. Uh, in relation to like who they're married to but margaret miller uh was married to uh ross mcdonald who wrote the lou archer mystery series um which is a really um one of the like you know sort of spoken about in the same breath as raymond chandler in terms of shaping the private investigator genre so um those books are fantastic, but Margaret Miller's books are fantastic as well. And I think The Beast in View is, you know, a really kind of an early psychological suspense. It is about a reclusive woman named Helen Clarvo who begins to get these really strange phone calls from someone who claims that she knew her when they were younger and has all these terrible things to say to her about how she's a horrible person and is going to die. And then gradually other people who are sort of loosely connected to Helen begin getting these phone calls as well. And um, it really does an amazing job of tightening the suspense with each page. It's a tiny book and it is so suspenseful. I actually reread it this afternoon, like in about an hour. It's pretty short, but like this book has made such an impact on me and it has some really chilling passages and a twist at the end that like, I mean, now we expect there to be a big old twist at the end of our books 
it wasn't always that way, right? Yeah, like, agreed. Um, and this book has like you know a one hell of a twist that having like because I've read it before, my read through was not it was it wasn't quite as exciting the second time around, but it was just like I wish that I could have been in like 1957 and reading this book because it probably blew everyone's minds, um, the way that this kind of twists around like what winds up being true like. Uh, it turns out that Helen has like a friend that, that they had a falling out a long time ago. And for a while, it seems like, oh, maybe it's the friend who's making these calls. Uh, or maybe the friend has a m- multiple personality disorder. And it just it really kind of goes deep and dark with this idea of like, someone reaching out and trying to hurt you through the phone, which uh, it's pretty cool. That sounds amazing. And it's also making me wish that we could write short books like that now. Because, <laughs> right. Well, because it's so hard to maintain a feeling like horror or suspense or anything for, you know, 90,000 words. Right. And we really have, I know people do like novellas and stuff, but it's kind of fallen out of fashion. And I miss little, little tense books like that. I do too. I mean, yeah. Agatha Christie's books are all short like that and they're incredible. Yeah, there's really like it's kind of funny like I wonder why that's really changed because like a a story should take as long as it takes to tell right yeah agreed so you know it's is it that we want more complicated stories or is it that in order to make it seem like you're getting your money's worth there's got to be x amount of pages like I think it's that (laughs) because everyone's always talking about how our attention spans are getting shorter and shorter because we tweet too much and watch music videos or whatever (laughs) right So, yeah, I think it's like people don't want to like if you're going to spend money on a book, you want, you know, a couple hours of entertainment at least. But yeah, I think we should bring it back. I think we should, too. We can just, you know, make them cheaper, but then you can buy more. Mm-hmm. So exactly. more books, more books. Everyone wins. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> OK, well, I have a little segment for you that begins with a poem. And I'm okay. not going to I'm not going to front load that. I'm just going to read you the poem and then I will explain. Ever with thee I wish to roam, dearest my life is thine. Give me a cottage for my home and a rich old cypress vine. Removed from the world with its sin and care and the tattling of many tongues. Love alone shall guide us when we are there, love shall heal my weakened lungs. And oh, the tranquil hours we'll spend, never wishing that others may see. Perfect ease we'll enjoy without thinking to lend ourselves to the world and its glee ever peaceful and blissful will be. That was written by Virginia Clem Poe, the child bride of Edgar Allan Poe, while she was dying of tuberculosis. Wow. Whoa. Okay. Plot twist. (laughs) Because it's October. (laughs) So we always talk about Edgar Allan Poe and what we should, but I know we all know that he had this child bride. We all know that he had a younger bride. But I thought I would twist things by talking about her for a minute instead of him, since that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you a little bit about her, okay? Because I just think she deserves to be remembered, and then I'm gonna explain something about Poe. So she's born in 1822, and she has so many creepy things in her story, it's like where to begin. She was named after her older sister who died 10 days before she was born. So she was like the replacement of Virginia. Ugh. Okay. 
And when she was seven, her cousin came to live with her family and her cousin, her siblings were all dying. So it was like her and her mom and a grandmother. Everyone's a widow, like a widow and like the brother is dying. Like it's a whole thing. And her cousin who comes to live with them is Edgar Allan Poe. And so she's seven and he's 22. And he's just gotten out of like the military where he dishonorably discharged in some shady capacity and was trying to start a series of literary magazines that weren't taking off. But he was like, the next one will be the big one. So he was like living with his family. (laughs) Tale as old as time. So she got close to him when she used to pass notes between him and the neighbor whom he was seeing. Um, because if I, I don't know if I mentioned that he was 22 and she was seven. Okay. And then they got to know each other from that. And then he like moved out. And then the grandma was supporting them with this like pension from her husband who was dead. But then the grandma died and now it's just her and the mom and there's like no money at all. So Edgar Allan Poe offers to help them out. He wants to strike a deal with the mom where he will marry the now 13-year-old Virginia. And if she lets him marry the 13-year-old Virginia, he will financially help the family. Gross. Gross. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know any of this. No. This is, it's just, it's, it's complicated with Poe. So... A cousin, another cousin, like it's Maryland, it's 1820, like there's just a lot of cousins, okay? <laughs> so like, <laughs> my dad's family is from Maryland, so like I'm allowed to, to talk shit about the cousin situation in Maryland. Um, so like another cousin, an older male cousin is like, fuck that. She can come stay with us. We'll educate her. If money is such a problem, like we'll take her. And the mom said no and let Edgar Allan Poe marry her 13-year-old daughter. Ugh. So they got married when Virginia was 13 and Poe was 27. And um, people have tried to justify this in a few different ways. So I have some quotes people have said on record that is like in all of the books. Uh, Quote, unquote, they didn't share a bed till she was 16. (laughs) Great. Well, thank goodness for that. Uh, Another quote. They were more like siblings. And a lot of like a lot of biographers try to like explain how they're more like siblings and I just feel like we should say that a man never wants to marry a 13-year-old girl so that he can be like her brother. It's no. not It's not a thing. Like, that's not what guys do. Another pe- people have often said, he didn't need women like most men do. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> they said, this is often said about him. He wasn't like most men. He wasn't like that with women. I think people are trying to make it so they weren't sexual with each other because it's too awful to think that you love this historical figure who was like a pedophile right Right. another quote my favorite is she was devoted to him sure that makes it all better well i mean like she was groomed from the age of seven right like when he lived with her at the age of seven you have to wonder right like yeah what the you know then uh another one is the last one my maybe i don't know this might be my favorite that wasn't unusual for the time (laughs) It was unusual, which is why it's in all the books. The cousin thing was common. True. Cousins did marry each other. Right. Even first cousins. That is true. But no, 27-year-old men did not. That's why he had to get like a special license for the wedding. Like they had to get signed a special paper. And then on the actual marriage certificate, out of shame, they put that she was 21. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Okay, so wasn't normal for the time. It's not normal from now. It wasn't normal then. This isn't a normal thing. It's weird, and it's creepy, and it's pedophilia. Okay. And in 1842, when she's now 20, she's been married for seven fucking years. She's playing the piano, and she started coughing. And a fountain of blood erupts from her mouth and onto the piano. Poe described it like a blood vessel had burst inside her throat. And it turned out that she had consumption or tuberculosis, the same disease that had taken Poe's mother when he was only two. So she lived for five more years. Um, and she died in the cottage they shared in the Bronx, what is now the Bronx. It was really small, little, tiny cottage. It's actually been relocated somewhere. Uh, it's just like a little tiny clapboard structure. Like a, well, it's funny, probably about the same size as my house in LA. <laughs> 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 um, and then a year after her death, Poe writes to a friend that he's experienced the greatest evil a man can suffer. Uh, when he says, Quote, a wife whom I loved as no man had ever loved before had fallen ill. And then if you go into his poetry he wrote after her death, it's all, I want to read you a couple things from his poetry from after her death that like, just what the hell? Like, okay, so this is from Annabelle Lee, which is uh, actually quoted in the epigraph of my book, Hunting Annabelle, and it's what Annabelle is named after. Um, but he writes, I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. For we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee. And there's another part of the poet poem in Annabelle Lee where he talks about uh, chilling and killing his Annabelle Lee about tuberculosis. But that whole I was a child and she was a child thing. No, dude. <laughs> nope. No. No. It's so creepy. It's so Michael Jackson. It's so not okay. Yeah. So... Just like a little bit of like a, you know, what's that thing at the end of the book? The epilogue? Um, <laughs> I, I'm an author. Um, okay, check this out. This is a quote I found on Wikipedia where I was like, wait, what? Uh, in 1875, the same year in which her husband's body was reburied, okay, the cemetery in which she lay was destroyed and her remains almost forgotten. An early Poe biographer, this is, this is the, he didn't like girls like that biographer, um, gathered the bones and stored them in a box he hid under his bed. What? Why are men? Why are men? Why? Why? <laughs> I don't know what to say. No. So, so you, you just like found all this on the internet for fun. I love you. <laughs> but so I've always had this complicated relationship with Poe because of this, the obvious. I love Edgar Allan Poe's work, but the more you read, it just makes it hard. It's a true difficulty with us in our historical male author figures. And present day male author present figures. Day and male just author all, figures. Of, all of the men. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy. Because all the ones who seem like cool and not creepy, you just are always a little like mm. waiting. I know. It's like, oh no, <laughs> who's going to be next? Who are we going to have to cancel next? It's like. Yeah. It's, it's upsetting. Yeah. You just never know. And I mean, I'm glad that we are canceling those who need to be canceled, of course. It's just very, like, discouraging that you can't safely uh, believe that any man is above being a total asshole. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really delightful moment with my, uh, with my partner, Jeff, over this because I was like, let me read you this poem. Guess who wrote it? You know, me. 
and I was like going through this with him and he was like, God, why does it seem like all these men are just, why does it seem like they're all awful? I was like, now you're starting to get it. <laughs> now you're getting, now you're catching on. Yeah, I was like, welcome to our world, right. buddy. Welcome. Enjoy. Wait, so, Wendy, have you read the new Poe anthology? We were going to talk about that, right? I've not read it yet, and I'm so excited. So to... the reason I wanted to say this was like, look, it's complicated with Poe, but you know what yeah. it's not complicated with? It's not complicated with His Hideous Heart, which is an awesome new retelling, reimagined Poe anthology edited by Dahlia Adler that has all these really interesting authors contributing to it, and it's reimaginings of all these really famous Poe stories. Um, all It's 13 of... Um, Poe's most famous stories and The Raven and The Raven has been retold by Amanda Lovelace who's one of our favorite poets awesome yeah I need to read that well you sent us some pictures of The Raven and it's she like did blackout poetry with it right that's so freaking cool it's really (laughs) awesome yeah and there's a there's stories in here by some really interesting uh, just really diverse group of authors you know men women uh, there's LGBT representation in here people from all over the place i mean it's just great i love dahlia adler's story in this collection so much uh lygia i think Mm -hmm. it's called um it's like i think it's so awesome because it is queer and it is modern but it has this like it has this detached poe like quality about it yeah, I just think she nails so hard. There's a, I have a, like a few favorites. I mean, I did like the glittering death by Caleb Rorig a lot. Like mm-hmm. there were just a lot. There's a lot to love in here, and they're young. They're like YA. They're like very young and like very very pacey and quickly readable. They're awesome. And there's a bunch of different genres here too. Like there's some that are I really liked. Um, the one based on the purloined letter. Uh, a drop of stolen ink yeah by emily lloyd jones which is kind of a futuristic dystopian yeah thriller type of thing cool. uh, and it's really really cool uh it's just, did you read uh, tiffany jackson's piece in here yes oh my god the cask of amontillado yes um, yes fantastic so awesome and I went right to Nighttide because I really want, by Tessa um, Grattan, because I really wanted to, because I love Annabelle Lee so much. And uh, it was awesome. They're just all great. It's a really awesome anthology. And it's really cool, too, because it has the stories that were the inspiration also yeah. in this volume. Like, in the back, the entire text of all the stories is there. So if you wanted to, like, see oh, how cool. exactly they did that, which is really cool, I think, because... Like, given that it's a young adult title, like, it's possible that young adult readers might not be coming across Poe stories in English class anymore. You know, I don't know what the kids are being taught these days. Um, but just being able to, like, see the the original material and then what the new authors did with it, like, I feel like that gives you uh, an even more complete picture. That makes me even more excited to read it because I, a lot of these post stories, either have never read them or I read them, you know, like over a decade ago. So I don't right. remember them. So having them there, that would be cool. Yeah. The idea just, that it's YA is so cool because that's when I started yeah. reading Poe, you know, and I would have loved this book. Oh, so yeah. Like, it's, it's awesome. The whole concept of like reclaiming things by like creepy 
dead white guy. Like, <laughs> let's just take him back and make him queer. Yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I have a really complicated, you know, emotions about Poe because I just love his work so much. And the tuberculosis connection, like my grandfather, my grandmother uh, was orphaned by tuberculosis. And it's something that's like sat very heavily on my family. And so just that, like, there's a lot of things I have always loved about Poe's work. So it was very cool and exciting to see that it was being reimagined and I could enjoy a new version of it in a not uh, conflicted way. Yes, it is fantastic. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed our first uh, spooky October episode. As we mentioned before, we're doing like the whole month is is Halloween because that's how we roll. So in two weeks, we will have an episode on uh, all things witchy. We're going to talk about kind of the archetype of the witch as an unlikable female character and some of our favorite books and movies and stuff featuring witches. And then uh, for our final October episode, we have a very special guest. Wendy, do you want to tell the people about our guest? Yeah, I'm so excited to announce our Halloween episode guest, who is going to be Amanda Lovelace. We have fangirled over uh, all of her poetry books. She's going to be reading from her brand new To Drink Coffee with a Ghost, and she's going to be talking about tarot. She actually reads tarot, and we can't wait to talk to her more about that. Yay! So excited. So cool. Do you think we'll be able to be cool? I don't know. I mean, I'm not cool at all, so... I won't be able to be cool. I don't know about you all, but she's like There's... young and hip and cool. Mm. There's no way we're going to be cool. She's going to be cooler than all of us. And that's fine. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. fine. I mean, whatever. It's good. That's it for this episode of unlikable female characters. Don't forget to subscribe. And you can also follow us on Twitter at unlikable FC pod for updates book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.